You're listening to Fairweather Friend, a podcast exploring some of the truths behind Australia's climate change denial. I'm your host, Melissa Greyward, and today my guest is Carol Ride, a psychologist and the founder of Psychology for a Safe Climate. Carol, welcome to the podcast. You've worked as a therapist, supervisor, and trainer. I'd love to hear in your own words how you shifted to focus more in the field of climate change as a psychologist and activist, and how Psychology for a Safe Climate came about. Well, the way um, it happened for me is that um, one of my friends read Tim Flannery's The Weathermakers. He's a um, paleontologist, I think, and you know, it was a very scientific book, um, but very readable. And she said to me, you've got to read this book. I've just read it and it's shocking. And I had been thinking of really getting into climate change. I knew it was an issue that I needed to explore and I had a couple of books by my bedside, but I hadn't read them. So when she said this, I read Weathermakers and it's sort of like just my life changed. I read it and thought, oh, my God, this is horrifying. Mm. Um, I've got to be involved in doing something about it. And um, so... I became a climate activist in my local community and started a um, a group called Darabin Climate Action Now, which has actually become a very world-leading um, climate action group that advocated for emergency action in Australia. It was the first council. So um, it, was, it turned, turned out to be a very... Um, active climate group but I got started I, I started with a few friends in um, about 2006 probably and um, and then we had elections around climate change and beca- you know became a, um, a fairly active group in the beginning days of the climate movement in in Melbourne and in Australia and then um, then I became con- in contact with other climate groups and they knew I was a psychologist and they said to me, can you as a psychologist help us understand why people don't engage with climate change? And so I started thinking around that field and started giving little talks about it. And then um, and then I started um, connecting up with the Australian Psychological Society to see whether they could help um, auspice a, a first meeting of people who are in the field of psychology who might be interested in this issue. So that was in 2010 and um, and a few people got together. Some of them, friends and colleagues, came to that first meeting and we formed a group around um, safe climate psychology, we called it, and... Um, and from then, it really took over my life and I just decided I couldn't keep on being a therapist as well as uh, working in this field, um, this new field of thinking about psychology and the psychological factors behind people's difficulty with engaging. Um, and so it, it just became... I couldn't really focus on my clinical work anymore because I felt that this was such a... A pressing issue and I felt I wasn't being as present for my clients as I used to be and so I felt I had to just I had to choose and so I chose um, to move out of the field of work I was in into psychology and climate change and forming this group 
which became Psychology for a Safe Climate and um, ended up growing in terms of its um, impact on the local, on the sort of not the Melbourne climate movement became aware of our work and then gradually we became um, interested in seeing whether we could help deal with some of the distress some of the climate activists were feeling around climate change and so we started thinking about burnout and preventing burnout so we started dreaming up workshops on that. We got invited to um, go to one of the climate um, uh, camps that was held um, trying to block coal in the Carmichael Basin, which is sort of around where Adani is. So we ran, went to the camps and started running workshops there and we ran some workshops on grief and that was sort of the beginning of it. And then we decided that this was something that we could really contribute on a larger scale by really helping climate activists with their grief to express it and help them look after themselves um, because we knew that people who, once you got involved in this issue, if you really got deeply involved, it was very demanding work and it was very emotionally um, draining and so we needed to help people look after themselves. It sounds like you were really driven by a strong calling to to transition more into this work away from your uh, practice. Something that I, I found really powerful on your website is that your tagline is helping people engage rather than in withdraw. And yes. I, I find that, yeah, so great because I think like what we were saying before, you know, avoidance generally can be a coping mechanism people turn to, right, mm. in their life. Um, it can. So yeah. I, I think like it especially seems relevant with this issue. So what do you see as some of the outcomes as a result of the workshops and presentations that you run? Well, there's two outcomes that are really significant. One is that people feel relieved at the chance to express their feelings, that they've actually carried them around within and not actually talked about how they feel. It's influenced, you know, it's affected their, um, their well-being, but they haven't actually talked about it openly often. Mm. And so it's a great relief to people to actually be honest and open about how they feel. And then the second thing is to discover that they're not alone, that other people feel as they do. And that's, that's as all things in life, you know, it's always a relief when, you know, someone feels like you do if you're troubled by something. But it's been a really um, a great relief to people and it's helped bond people with each other, especially when we've run workshops for people who work together um, mm. on, you know, whether it's as an activist or as a researcher or a scientist, just to talk with their colleagues openly and honestly is just a wonderfully um, connecting experience and helps them bond with each other more strongly. And hopefully it clears the way for them to be able to be continue to be more open with each other um, as time goes by. Yes, definitely. To, to not, yeah, to not feel anxious or shameful. It's shameful to feel as they do, but to actually go, oh, my God, my colleagues you know, next to me are feeling really frightened and worried and... Um, pessimistic I can talk about that with people yeah and we we always couple that with self-care work which we usually use mindful self-compassion the, the work by Kristen Neff do you know 
her work? No, I'm not familiar with that actually, but I'd love to know more about it. Kristen Neff, yeah, with a K, uh-huh. K-R-I-S-T-E-N-N-E-F-F. Um, she's American and has really been working in this field of um, people being compassionate to themselves as as they are to compassionate to other people in their lives and that, that they need to turn to be kind to themselves in order to have the um, the stamina and the um, well-being within to live life, whatever they're doing. But we apply it to working as a climate on climate change. Um, and so we combine that in with the workshops. So the workshops are usually three hours and um, we have about the first hours for the expression about their feelings about climate change and then around about another uh, three-quarters of an hour or so on um, thinking and, and, and practising some self-compassion uh-huh. um, um, in terms of doing a, a sort of a, a, a relaxed um, experience where the focus is on thinking about how what sort of issues you're troubled by and thinking about how you might be kind to yourself as you are to others in dealing with whatever that issue is. And then we we have a discussion with drawings. We use the grief expression or expression of feelings. We use art, art materials um, like a, an art therapy model where pe- people use paper and, and pastels to express their feelings. So it's a very free medium. Um, and then, so that's in the, we do that in groups of six with one of us facilitating the group of six. But we might have a larger workshop of 18 or 24 people. Mm. And then for the Mindful Self-Compassion, we do that in the large group. And then in the end of the workshop, we um, have people talk about what they've got out of the workshop um, reflect on what they need to do from here on. Um, and so, again, that's a large group activity that's, that's really nourishing for the large group as well. Yes, yeah, to share again as well, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And hear what other people got out of it and, um, and what they need, they know they need personally from, from the workshop onwards to keep them... Um, looking after themselves. Mm, mm, yeah, that that seems to that's come up in a few other conversations I've had, and you mentioned grief as well, and you know these feelings of stress and overwhelm in trying to deal with this, and how mm. that can be, yeah, this form of denial where you're aware of the issue, but it's just so um, intense to try and work out, well, how can I take action? And so it's, yeah, it's very interesting to hear what you're saying around. Uh, yeah, this language around grief and loss. We've had shocking bushfires in Australia, you know, just terrifying bushfires. And and that, so it's loss of the what's lost in the fires, but it's also loss of security for the future um, and a sense of this is this might be how things are going to be, only worse as time goes by. It's not just a once-in-a-ten-year event, but maybe an annual occurrence, so... Yeah, that, and I think what you said, I mean, the term self-care gets thrown around so much, I feel like, in popular culture, um, yes. you know, in terms of, oh, chuck on a face mask and everything's going to be fine, yes. you know? Um, but yes. I think that you 
what you said is really important around you know, to do this work, you need to be taking care of yourself in order to have the stamina that it requires. Yes, it's often drawing a boundary around how much your time you spend on climate change so that you actually, you know, don't look at emails at night and, you know, give yourself days off at the weekend. And yeah. and that's what we find that people have, because they're so concerned about the issue, they've found it very hard to put a limit on how much time they contribute. That's interesting. The climate grief workshops, we we advertise them as um, a place to express your climate grief. So people come along knowing they feel grief. It's just so it's not like the general public often is not aware that they feel grief. But these people, by coming to the workshop, are accepting and acknowledging they feel grief. Um, but the, the extent of it is perhaps not quite experienced until they actually get a space to talk um, to draw something to talk about what they've drawn and to have it witnessed by other people and to hear other people feel similarly sort of is layer upon layer of grief really mm, yeah wow sort of deepens it yeah certainly because I think when people grieve they do need to be witnessed that's interesting yeah it is. it's important to be heard and um, to know other people are hearing you and you know to have it acknowledged is really an important part of grief otherwise it can sort of tend to swirl around inside and not find a a sort of a resting place it just goes um it's just very active within but not not a restful place so um yes i think that's one of the things that works in the workshop that is it's not solitary grief it's actually expressed to other people and witnessed, yeah. I wonder on the other side of that, uh, so you have worked in the field of couple therapy and something, this issue can be quite polarizing as well. And I'm wondering how people manage their relationships with a partner or a family member or a friend when it becomes apparent they have quite different perspectives. So maybe, you know, you have a, a close family member who outright denies that climate change exists Mm. how do you how does one work with that (laughs) well I have to say I haven't had a lot of experience that with that because when I started getting into this work and stopped doing couple work it really wasn't an issue that people a couple of people probably had mentioned but it wasn't very common whereas I've heard about it now and I've also experienced it in my life with family members and so on, and it's very challenging. And for couples, it can be extremely uh, conflictual because it's so much, it's it's about where your priorities lie, it's about how you make decisions about what you, how you spend money, Mm. how you travel. Um, We've also had experience in our workshops with young people deciding not to have children, and that's another issue that can be, a tension between, a, you know, the partners in a couple relationship. So yes. um, it, it is, um, it becomes like politics of, you know, political parties. It's sort of something that can um, not be perhaps people are not aware of it until something happens that actually really um, highlights the issue and makes it something people really want, feel very, very strongly about. So it can be. It can be a very tension-making issue um, in a couple relationship, and that it, um, um, it can force people to have to 
make decisions about whether they can stay together. But more often it's just a source of ongoing conflict between people, really. Unless unless they can... And then something shifts and then... I've heard of people, um, somebody I know, who his partner suddenly got it, you know? Mm. This guy had been really involved and his partner just wouldn't um, countenance how serious it was. But then suddenly something happened where they came on board and it was such a relief in the relationship for them to be um, seeing things from a similar position and not be in tension about it. Yeah, that's huge because, like you said before, you've really changed your entire life um, to work in this field, right, to, to lean really into mm-hmm. it. And so it must be very challenging when if someone around you at, at, at its core doesn't believe in what you're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, that, yeah. That's really hard. Yeah, it can be very tough for people, yeah. I'm wondering also because I've always imagined that working as a psychologist must require a lot of like the self-care that you mentioned and that's especially true when focusing on this issue. You said before that you have boundaries around, you know, reading emails after a certain time, taking time off on the weekend, but um, and on the website also it mentions that, you know, you this issue is important to you because of a love of nature. Do you find that you have your own self-care mechanisms like being in nature, things that restore you in order to do this work? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I've got, I'm lucky. I've got a beautiful garden and I've, um, um, and it still, you know, survives in climate change and I spend, it's, it's where I nourish myself. And yeah. we, where we live, we've also got access to, the Arrow River and parklands around it. So I'm Beautiful. really, like, I, it's very important to me and it's really my haven and, and the nourishing place. So, yeah. yeah. And, and luckily our our group, um, the people together working in our group, Psychology for Safe Climate, are all very much um, focused on the love of nature so we can actually do things together um to nourish ourselves so that's that's been great yeah that's lovely where you can enjoy each other's company but in a different context that's great so i actually have a listener question here and i think it's one that we can all relate to that i wanted to to ask you um so this is from our listener bianca who asked how can you keep your hopes up if you're young and worried about what effect denying climate change will have on the planet well um, I think it's not about being um, sort of bright-siding things to be hopeful. I think it's really important to actually understand the, the real, you know, the reality of the, of the situation. But mm. I think it's also um, important to. I like Joanna Macy's work of active hope. She's a um, a Buddhist scholar, um, and she, she started the work that reconnects, which is. Um, helping people go through a cycle of recognising their gratitude for what's available, their grief about what's happened, and then seeing what they can contribute from their own um, skills and gifts and then investing in making things, holding on to what we have um, and um, creating, try, you know, doing your best to contribute to... Um, a continuing um, holding on to all of the wonderful things that there are in life, and mm. sort of like a, a look it up. You can I can't explain it probably as well, but just, but it's it's called the work that reconnects. Anyway, she's written 
about active hope and she's talking about people investing in actively in what they um, know that they value and, and, and want to look after for the future. We know that some things will be lost, but it's still about investing in what you want to happen and that that's where your energy should be in that that um, process of of you don't know what the outcome's going to be because we all you know in in years to come but actually doing what you know needs to happen now is really important that's one part of it and the the other part is the um, the work that Margaret Klein Salomon has done she's actually a psychologist um, and works in the uh, the US on um, the climate mobilization group which uh-huh. are, are trying to mobile, mobilize for a, an emergency response to climate change and she um, she talks about people really especially well I think it's true for all of us actually but I, I think it's particularly challenged for young people to actually work out what really matters to them now when climate change is a pressing problem and to really explore their feelings about climate change to not to, to discover new um, capacities themselves, to know and understand their feelings and learn to cope with them and invest their um, their lives in what really matters for the future, which might be a really big change in direction in their lives. But I think that that is how people then invest their energies into what, when it, they're investing into what matters, that builds hope because they know that, um, they might have to put away some of the things they thought they were going to invest their life in and do the things that they know really matters for the future. It's a sort of a bit similar to, to um, Joanna Macy. Um, and she's written a book called Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. And, and, and she really has got some very um, challenging sections in the book about people learning to know what they really feel and really understand themselves um, and and using that to, to delve deeply into themselves about what really is going on within and to um, connect with that and that, work out what direction in life they want to take. And she's a good model of that because she's a psychologist and she was a the psychotherapist, as I was myself, and she's actually she's much younger. She's she'd be forty probably. Um, she's um, changed her whole life and invested it in this work for the climate mobilisation. Wow, that that is. I mean, again, I feel like the word inspiring gets thrown around a lot, like self care, but that is actually very inspiring, and I think a very honest answer. And it's great to have some resources to look to as well for yeah. everyone. Yes, yeah, they're all. About joining with other people, really, <laughs> to do with and not doing it alone. To do what you know needs to happen with other people, who from whom you can have inspiration and comfort and and um, build connection. And that's really critical, I think, in being able to do the tough things that lie ahead. Mm, mm. Yeah, this this topic of community, I think, has come up with everyone that I've spoken to. And again, I think in the context of um, the pandemic that's happening, community seems more important than ever right now. Look, Carol, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. Really appreciate it. All right, Melissa. Nice to talk to you. 
Fan with a Friend is hosted, produced and mixed by me, Melissa Gray Ward. Thanks for listening and until next time.